The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Four teams for the college football playoff are set. No real reason to beef there. Deion Sanders has a new job, and Clemson apparently has made a quarterback change. This is the College Game Day podcast recording Sunday, December 4th, in the immediate aftermath of the rankings reveal. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here, Pete. It's probably, uh, maybe it's just because I just finished four hours of television and talking about uh, these incessantly. Feels like it's about time to turn the page and go forward. But briefly, I think for our podcast listeners, at least need to touch on the selection. Uh, I had zero beef with it at all. I would have had Ohio State three, but that's that's just a football judgment on my part. I don't have a real problem with TCU being being three. And all of the angst and anxiety over uh, Alabama's inclusion was pure internet absurdity. Uh, People worrying over nothing because, as I've said many times, no one in the now nine-year history of the playoff has gotten the benefit of the doubt more than Ohio State. This is the fourth time. Now, I'm not saying those selections are wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm Mm -hmm. saying. But this is the fourth time in nine years that the Buckeyes have been at least – it's the fifth time and the fourth time it's gone their way that they've been involved in at least some type of thing where there was a reasonable opposing view, and they've won four of the five. Uh, the Alabama pieces one time, 2017, it was it. I don't even really think they were in the uh, in the discussion this time, in my judgment. Yeah, I think this was, this was pretty shut and dry. Uh, I put on Twitter, the only interesting thing I was curious about today was Alabama versus Tennessee, which, mm-hmm. you know, two very rational fan bases, as we've noted before, they'll take that 5-6 debate really well this offseason. I'm sure it won't <laughs> come up much at all, because uh, obviously Tennessee beat It'll Alabama. only come up on one side because Alabama does not care. You know, I, I don't <laughs> fair. You know, about they're fair. not in the four. They don't care. <laughs> you know, so that yeah. is uh, that is very fair. No, I had uh, so I got a bunch of texts from people at the Big 12, people at TCU Sunday. Hey, what do you think? Are we three or we not? they were not worried about getting left out? I, mm-hmm. I think, as, yeah. as you had said uh, wisely all along, that was uh, that was there. I, I do. I do wonder if. Uh, playing conspiracy theory, if them three in Ohio State four means that if they if if. USC had lost that four or five debate would have gone the same way because of the benefit of doubt factor you had. And uh, I do know that uh, Georgia, Ohio state will be a monster game and we can get there mm-hmm. later, but no, I had empathy for you for four hours of discussions of an obvious time. So, so and it's I can't worse. promise at a certain yeah. point, I started trying to find obscure coaching jobs and he was going to get them and didn't listen to every Every word of you and our fine compadres um, as they uh, as they analyze things. You did have some great coaches on, some great yeah. guests. It was it was it was a fun uh, it was a fun four hours. But the 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 drama and you, and you did get teased gently for manufacturing it a little bit. I think it was Pollock who teased you um, right around uh, <laughs> right. right around the reveal. The drama well, was about what we expected. It to be. Yeah, I mean, I sort of knew what was going to happen, but I will admit because as we've talked about before, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought just for a second, because I will admit to being somewhat surprised, and this might be my predisposition, that TCU popped up at three. 
Yeah. Um, I, I thought it would be Ohio State. I understand why it's not again, but I saw it because I think Ohio State's better. I think they would win the game, yeah. and I think the resumes are fairly similar. Um, you know, so um, th- I was a little surprised. So when that happened, I thought uh, maybe we do have some drama. I didn't think so, but you know, wait and see. And I, I think they, you know, they got it right. You know, I've been saying, uh, you know, going to great lengths to say that. It's not to say there aren't good teams, but there was no good choice when you considered, you know, the the flaws on everyone's resume. And uh, I thought Greg McElroy actually gave me a phrase that probably works out pretty well. It was sort of a it was sort of a process of elimination for that last spot, and Ohio State was sort of like the um, the one that didn't get eliminated or didn't you know completely eliminate themselves with with something else. So, but now new life. And and this is something I like to talk about surrounding the NCAA tournament, Pete. It doesn't matter. A selection is not validated by performance. You know, that just because um, Ohio State got the benefit of the doubt in 2014 and won the national championship, it doesn't make it the right choice. Just because Alabama got the got the shot in 17 and won the national championship that doesn't make it right when VCU went to the final four in 2011 or whatever that was they should not have been in the tournament now how they performed once they got there good for them but it doesn't validate the selection the selection was wrong now in the two football examples I gave I don't think the selection was wrong I think the Ohio State selection was right the Alabama selection was right but them winning the national championships in those years, that's not what made it right, you know? But I think in this case, the selection process was appropriate and Ohio State is certainly talented enough to win the national championship. Yeah, and uh, I think it's maybe the most intriguing thing about this field is that we will have one team, the team that's going to come out of the Fiesta Bowl, that has never played for the national championship in this CFP era playing for the national championship, uh, which is cool. I just do think the sport hit a perceived rut of being a little bit top heavy. And now we've seen, we've seen that shake up a little bit and we got a little purple in there. We got a little maze of blue in there. Uh, we got a <laughs> hypno toad and we've got a, a team of dancing Wolverines. I was a little disappointed. Gene Wojciechowski who can really cut a rug. You should see him at our, uh, you know, our game day, Friday nights uh, did not join them in, uh, in, in any dancing. Gino's got moves. Anyone can, uh, anyone can tell that, but yeah, new blood is new blood is fun. Blood and is good for uh, is, is good, is good for the sport. So it's a nice, monster matchup in one and then uh just a an interesting contrast in styles uh in the other there was a big fight live going on uh on the set while gene was giving his report and unbeknownst to gene they were dancing behind him and you know there there's no way that gene could have known that they were dancing behind him because you're not you don't know you're not aware you know he's staring he's staring into a camera and i'm not even sure if he had a monitor he is very likely that he didn't so there's no way he knew what was happening behind him but herb street and i were like screaming at our producer jeff brown going open our mics open our mics open our mics we've got it <laughs> you know we really wanted to have some fun with that and jeff uh probably wisely discretion being the better part of valor going <laughs> i don't want to mess gene up i don't want to mess him up no no we're, no no we got to we've got to and then when they went away uh, we were we were dismayed, but yeah, that was that was fun. They were acting like they were eating the the trophy behind them. It was really funny. 
that's a good window into uh, into into live TV. And uh, I would think you could get a little. Was there a moment you just got a little like four hours of live TV is an insanely long period of time. Like think about if you're uh, for our listeners, if you had to give like a school report growing up at some point and you had to speak for five minutes. You had to go in front of him. That is like that's an eternity to speak for five minutes. To so to speak through the entire playoff and then through all the bulls. I mean that is uh, that is eternity. Was there a moment where you felt a little punch drunk or uh, or anything funny happen? Uh, it 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 happens every year. At some point, I get a little snarky and salty. I think probably the moment um, was uh, Joey Galloway called me out on. He said, "You're usually not like this when we announced UConn's bowl." When someone was talking about it, I quickly scrolled to my to my phone and said, no, it's okay. The men's basketball team doesn't play that day, so you'll be able to watch. And it was kind of, you know, kind of a little, little snarky thing that uh they're watching but, your house is gonna end up haunted. Moore is gonna yeah. send his uh, friendly ghosts over to you. Exactly. It was a joke, you know. There, yeah, but no, I'm yeah, all for jokes. Was, yeah, you get a get a little punchy and then yeah. um yeah. It's it's fun. And then you have to try to race to the bathroom, you know, find out. I would think that that extra hour and it's because of the nature of the show. And, um, you know, it's just a different vibe than doing three hours of game day. You know, three hours of game day, you uh, it goes very quickly. Now, the first hour and a half of the of the selection show goes goes fast, too, because Mm -hmm. you're you're building some anticipation. And even if you know the answers, you still want to see it. You want to hear from Boo. You want to hear from the coaches that are in it. And then after that, you want to break it down a little bit. But then after a while, I I will admit it, it. you reach a point where you're like, all right, <laughs> it's a, how do we say something we're new. good here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, but it was, it, it was always fun. And we also, the other inside baseball or inside football reference is that Jesse Palmer is a master of impressions. He does great impressions. Uh-huh. So it's great Spurrier. And he also does a great Bob Davey. And uh-huh. so I looked at him in a break and they told me that we were going to announce the New Mexico Bowl for Bob coach for a while. Bob's yeah. a great guy, by the way. And um, so I looked at Jesse and I said, I'm going to need something from you and it'll be obvious to you. You'll know what I want. And he was like, what? So I just simply, I did my poor Bob Davey to set it up. I said, here's the pairings for the New Mexico Bowl now. Like that, because, you know, Bob, Bob has this, we all, I have verbal tics so everybody does, you know, and he there for a while, he would say now at the end of something to really emphasize it. So Jesse broke into his Bob Davey impression, which is spot on. And I hope Bob knows that it was in love and fun that we, we have a great, great affection for him. Really good guy. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's one of the things that, you know, obviously being new to game day and seeing the, the, the carnival, the behind the scenes whirl <laughs> and everything you do really catch, uh, you do, it is, it is. It is just fascinating all the things that happen to uh, to make our three hours go. And uh, yeah, four on a desk with with limited <laughs> things to spit out because the game day you could be on the desk, but there could be a segment where you go to Jen or Gene for a feature and it's like a little bit of a five minute breath and uh, and, and stuff like that. It didn't seem like there was a lot of that today. No, um, and there's in game day, too. There could be a funny sign behind you, uh, you know whatever it might be. But the good thing about the group that I do love doing that selection show with is that they're all, and I'm not just trying to, you know, throw bouquets their way. They're all so well-prepared and they're so Hmm. well-versed that you don't ever have to worry about, oh, I might bring up something you're not ready for. And that just is not with that 
with that group, I mean, Palmer's amazing in his recall. We know, we know obviously Kirk is the, the king and Galloway is sensational. And Pollock is the smartest football guys you're ever going to run across. And, you know, they all just, you know, they all just live it all the mm-hmm. time. And, yeah. uh, you know, so you can, you can go any direction with any of those guys and you never, ever have to worry about it. And they're also really secure. So if you disagree mm-hmm. with them, you can challenge them and they're not taken aback. They're not, you know, I mean, and Joey likes it because Joey loves arguing almost as much as he loves breathing, you know? So if you can, if you can go back at Galloway a little bit, it always makes it fun. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's do, we're obviously going to pick these games and we're obviously going to have our normal sort of pod rhythms, Reese, like, now that that Georgia Ohio State is real, what are your first two or three like impressions of that game? Like, what are the first like? What are you most excited to see? Is it Keely Ringo versus Harrison? Um, is it is it Stetson Bennett with a different kind of defense to pick apart? What are what are a couple of the tent poles of that game that got you that got you fired up? Uh, seeing if C.J. Stroud can handle pressure right up the middle because he's going to get it mm-hmm. from from Jalen Carter, and I figure. That is how George is going to control the game. Um, I look, if anybody can beat Georgia, anybody's mm-hmm. equipped to beat Georgia by making big plays and passing game in this elite receivers, it would be Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State, I don't think the the bust and the big plays against Michigan were necessarily characteristic. And that's not really how Georgia operates anyway, because their three longest runs. I think we talked about this on the podcast earlier from non-running backs anyway. And, you know, Bowers has a run McConkey who, you know, has a, a lower leg or a leg injury that I think is not terribly serious from what I understand from Georgia, which is good news for them. I but saw tendonitis on. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That, yeah. That's what I was told also. And so it's, um, you know, I, I think the, the whole game, is whether does Georgia control the game with the middle of their defensive front? Do they make C.J. Stroud uncomfortable to the point that those other weapons that they have are neutralized because he's getting so much pressure right in the middle? And how does Ryan Day counter that? Is C.J. as good on the move? Do they get him out of the pocket? Or are they stubborn and go, wait a minute, we're Ohio State, somebody block him. You know, and if um, and you know if they if they can do that, then that would enhance their chances. That that's the first thing that that jumps out to me. Let let me counter that by saying, uh, so we were lucky enough to watch that Georgia Tennessee game from the field uh, in Athens this year. You, uh, I think, it's you, Jeff Sims, and I, um, mm-hmm. and Desmond for parts of it, were standing on the field together. And I remember, uh, you know, being to the left of the of the bench, so it would have been the Tennessee bench, and watching a possession early in the game and seeing Jalen Carter live disrupt the line of scrimmage was one of just one of the more indelible moments of the season. I mean, he, first of all, he's a monster. He's a truck, but he was just 
taking these large 300 pound men and tossing them out of the way like they were GI Joes. Like, I mean, just it was it, the impact he had on the game. And there was the play in the end zone that the, the referees messed up. Um, mm-hmm. I think what it should have been a touchdown and it was a safety. I, I it was like they went off the board. It was either it was either safety touchdown, but we concluded from oh, watching and then it live. Yes. And we, they, they went off the board and went yes. that he got out of the end zone. They marked yeah. it the one or something. It, yeah. they, it was like the missed yeah. call. And that was just Jalen Carter, just like gobbling yeah. space like Pac-Man in in yeah. that, you know, in really turning the game, which it which it did right there. Now he, you know, he's a big guy. He didn't play every snap, so the, like they're, you know, but he made an indelible impression enough early in that game to t- totally turn the tide of it. Not let Hendon Hooker get in a rhythm. Not let Jalen Hylett get get easy catches. And it just it just it really changed everything. So. I, uh, you know, I'd be curious, the interior of Ohio State's offensive line is the weaker part of it. Now, Donovan Jackson's a redshirt freshman. People really like his potential long term. He's the left guard. Luke Whipler, the center, um, is a redshirt sophomore. He's he's a a good college center and, and probably will play in the NFL, but he's not elite. And then Matt Jones, the right guard, didn't play against Ohio State. He missed that game with an injury. I think his status will be will be interesting. I know people come to this podcast for guard talk but you need <laughs> you need interior you need your best interior offensive lineman if you're Ohio State playing in that game and you know that that's the big advantage they have the other one is going to be the atmosphere though certainly Ohio State is accustomed uh whether it be going to Michigan over the years or going to Penn State you know they're not going to be intimidated by an environment but it will be something to deal with uh for sure but Scarlet and gray travels. It won't be oh, yeah. as if they're having to go between the hedges and scarf up, you know, uh, 5% of the tickets or whatever it is they allot to the visiting side. So they will have more seats uh, there than one might anticipate. But it, I figure it will still be a predominantly, you know, heavily predominantly Georgia crowd um, because they've anticipated being in this particular semifinal for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And wh- whereas the Ohio State fans didn't know that. And the other one, as I as I alluded to on game day Saturday, I've got a lot of confidence. Pollock asked me this question today. He said, if you had to pick one quarterback of the four to win mm-hmm. these two games and win the championship for you, who would it be? And this is not about being a prospect. This is not about potential upside a few years ago. This is like winning the two games now. And while I'm sorely tempted, was sorely tempted to say Duggan, my ultimate answer was was Stetson Bennett. And there's nothing big about Stetson Bennett except the chip on his shoulder, his performance in huge games, and Two other things that I won't mention because this is a family podcast. Those are the only big things about Stetson Bennett, and all of those will serve him extraordinarily well against the Buckeyes. So while C.J. Stroud is going to be the high draft pick, uh, potentially a franchise NFL quarterback, um, I'm riding with 13 in red and black in, in terms of winning that game. So that's that's the other thing that I that I that jumps out at me. Yeah. One of the interesting parts of covering college football is that, you know, the only constant is change. There was a four or five year run. And I thought, perhaps naively, that that four or five year run would be, uh, you know, an indicator for the future in absolute. And there was that run where you needed to have a dynamic 
quarterback who could throw the ball down the field and essentially be the number one pick in the draft to win the national title. Right. I said, number one, top five pick, whatever it was. So it was the run with, uh, with, with Trevor. And then Tua obviously came off the bench prior to that. And it was, uh, Mac Jones. Yeah. Um, But it was, it was Joe Burrow. uh, Yeah. Joe Burrow. Burrow. Exactly. Burrow was 19. Thank you. So anyway, it was just a bunch of high class quarterback. Like these were real guys. I think all those guys went in the top five. Tua, I think, was yeah, two or three. Yeah, right? Tua did. I, yeah, Tua, yeah. Trevor, Joe, and Trevor were number one. Were one. Uh, yeah. Tua was five, and I think Mac was like fifteen. He was maybe, fifteen. Yeah. Like that. yeah, he was fifteen. Belichick, yeah. Jedi mind tricked everybody to let him yeah. out there. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's it's just a way to say like, boy, did you really think that the dynamism and the downfield passing game and the elite, 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 elite arm talent was a necessity? Well. Here comes Stetson, who has great talent. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doubting that, but he's not in the same class of arm talent as those quarterbacks. Max Duggan would be in the Stetson Bennett category, right? Like those guys are probably fifth to seven round picks at best. Duggan has the heart thing, which scares scouts a little bit. So he may be better than his draft stock. Um, And then obviously Stroud and then McCarthy. I, I had a coach who I trust tell me that he thought he'd eventually be a first round pick, but Look, he was uneven at times early this season. He, he had a little bit of turnoveritis. Um, he's obviously proven the past few games that that you know he's got a long runway and uh, a, a lot of talent. Um, certainly can really make dynamic plays with his feet too. So I really like this quarterback crop because it's a little bit of it's a little bit of everything, right? It's just it's not cookie cutter, and the styles are wild too, right? Reese, mm-hmm. like you just got a bunch of different ways to play football. Yeah, a couple things about those quarterbacks. Um, First of all, that was why I phrased it the way I did about not long term, because I, too, am very bullish on J.J. McCarthy's development, uh, very bullish on it. I I, I, under, I I don't know that I love the way Harbaugh handled it early in the season. It, it seemed it was sort of almost like the anti DJ Uyango Lule, you know, uh, sure. thing with uh, with McCarthy and, and McNamara. But I certainly understand. Uh, I understand the appeal because he's he's very talented. Stroud's obviously the, uh, the smoothest, most polished at this point. But yesterday or sat, yeah, Saturday, whenever you're listening to this podcast, we were on the sideline of the Big 12 championship game. And to see what Max Duggan did on that last drive right in front of us, that that one run where he was stopped was literally a few feet in front of me could barely pick himself up off the oh. ground. I don't know if it, maybe you do. I don't know if there was a rib injury or anything. I thought he was just flat exhausted because he, it's an overused cliche in sports, but you want to talk about a guy who spilled it on the field. Mm. It was him. It, I mean, it was fabulous. It was, I mean, so whatever there is to give in that game against Michigan on New Year's Eve, Max Duggan's going to give it. And I mean, it was as inspiring, as uh, thrilling a performance in a losing effort as I can remember in quite some time. Because he, <laughs> man, if if you don't, if if Max Duggan's guts didn't send a tingle up your spine, you must not have a spine because it was sensational. Best in game brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. 
So it's interesting your your field side view of it. I uh, I scooted out of Dallas to get to get home to prepare for uh, selection day today, and watched it on TV. Now uh, Holly Rowe did an unbelievable job. She had a great sideline hit, just mm-hmm. basically describing him like a prized fighter, like yeah. dazed and bruised. She's talking about raspberries. She got into cut. I mean, she's uh, you know our best sideline reporter. One of our best. We have a lot of good ones. I certainly don't want to pick favorites, but she's she's deleted her job, and in that moment. She captured the stakes of it so well, and I, I think Herbie uh, Herbie joked with her, "Oh, get that kid some oxygen down there." Yeah, um, it, it because was... he was yeah he was part injured, part exhausted, um, and it really just like I, did you see the scene? It might have been right close to when he kind of brushed his teammates away. It was just like give me some space. Yeah, like yeah. I gotta, I gotta. I mean, he looked like he just needed to you know catch his catch his breath a little bit. Like he mm-hmm. was. Uh, he he was exhausted. What did you think, live Reese, of the decision? That, and Sonny Dykes was criticized for it, um, for to to not let him do a keeper. I and, and I believe what Dykes said somewhat was like, "Look, the kid was like, you know, barely able to stand up. I didn't want him to dive over." That that's um, I, I cut him some slack on it, Pete, because field side. That was the initial thing because he almost scored. It was the right call, by the way, with his mm-hmm. with his elbow and forearm down on on the one run. Um, but I, I understood it. I understood. I mean, you you would think as as good as Kendra has been that you know Kendra Miller would get a yard for it. And I'm not putting that on him that they'd get enough surge to get it. Duggan seemed spent, so I totally understood. Uh, why they didn't try it. That said, uh, quarterback sneaks pretty effective. He was in such a zone of uh, being oh. relentless, not being denied that you almost uh, you well, almost wonder. Did you have one more in you? You have one more in you. You know that was like so. Vince Young at the end of the Rose Bowl. That was they amazing. Kind of kept calling his yeah. number. I mean, it was yeah. it was it was it was awesome, and just you know completely uh, you know that that was a bring your own guts to mix uh, to mix coaching metaphors. But there was. Uh, it was it was it was awesome to see it you know it sent tingles up your spine what a what what a great moment and uh, i'm glad they weren't penalized for for losing that game the way that the the way that they did it was yeah. it was it, the, everything about this TCU season has just been great from the bazooka yeah. field goal to the way they started they're charismatic the coaches like it's just it's it's all lined up to be one of the most fun teams we've had in in this generation in college football okay so you gave me first swing at the Peach Bowl, I'll give you first swing at Fiesta. So we've talked a lot about Duggan, touched just briefly on Michigan. What's the first thing that jumps out at you about the TCU-Michigan matchup? So I still have all the all my anonymous coaches in my head just deifying the offensive line, Sharon Moore's offensive line for Michigan, because of their synchronicity, because of the way they play together, because of the way they just are tough and hit and ground the opposition into submission. So my first thought when I think of this game, and obviously Blake Horn won't be playing in it, um, is can TCU, which kind of plays a little stack three three five, a little bit of a little bit of an oddball defense, which could pose JJ McCarthy some problems. Do they have the toughness, and are they stout enough up front? I believe they they start a freshman nose guard um, to 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 handle both the muscle and then the competitive stamina of that Michigan team, which just keeps coming at you like, like waves pounding on the beach until, uh, until you kind of fold over. Um, It's a, it's a very old school ethos uh, from Jim Harbaugh that this team has developed. So I think that's my first matchup that I'm curious about because TCU's defense has been more 
opportunistic and Big 12-like than it has been just now they've been good. Don't get me wrong. And I believe they're the most improved unit in the country. Joe Gillespie has done a wonderful job there um, this season. I believe like points wise, they're the most improved, which is crazy considering Gary Patterson was their coach. You know what rumor I heard today, by the way, uh, Gary Patterson to UNLV. Um, and it is purely a podcast shatter rumor, not else. What a great hire that would be, huh? That would that would be a, that would be a as a candidate. Time. I'm not saying it's done. Yeah. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. I just heard his name. You hear names all day. You hear names. Some names are real. Some names aren't. But I was like, wow. If you're serious about you know winning in the Mountain West, that guy won so much in the Mountain West. This team left the Mountain West. <laughs> yeah. So right. yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a. Uh, I thought yeah, old, old Gary in Vegas. He can play. He can play Tuesday night at like the Golden Spoke on the old Strip or something. So, <laughs> he he would like that. He would find an open open mic yeah. someplace. You, you know the other thing that I think of. You can't carry momentum that long with the break that you have between conference championship weekend and the start of the playoff. And TCU has had a little bit of mojo momentum. I know they lost Saturday. It was something I pointed out before we talked to Deuce Vaughn. I said, oh, by the way, you know, as much as we've praised Duggan and TCU for the coming, Kansas State won the freaking Big 12, by the way. You know, they they yes. won the game. But I think there is still some momentum and belief and these, you know, week after week, rally after rally after rally after rally. And I wonder if the break is going to sort of break the momentum. And I do wonder about TCU's ability to stand up in the face of a Michigan team that even without Blake Corum is going to be committed to showing you just how big and strong and tough they are. And, you know, that that's the first thing that jumps out at me about about that game. I really lo- lo- love the TCU story. Obviously, you know what Duggan has done and, and Quentin Johnston, who I do appreciate as much as you do, or at least close. Hey, now, uh, back off. All right. Uh, close, close, <laughs> as close as you do. And they've got all kinds of big receivers. I think their defense has played a lot better. Defense has been great in the second half. But my initial impression, reserving the right to change my mind over the course of these three weeks or whatever it is, is that Michigan's going to run over them. That, I mean, that's that's my initial impression. Yeah, um, and we've we've sort of seen this this Michigan team. Well, first of all, you talked about McCarthy earlier. This is a, a point I wanted to make, and, and I'll transition to him and and how he can he can pick apart this TCU defense, which is you know giving up some yards through the air this year. They do have two very good corners, Hodges Hodges Tomlinson being uh, being one who again I thought played pretty well the other night. Um, you know, the knock on Jim Harbaugh and the reason why Jim Harbaugh wasn't able to to turn the tide of the of the Ohio State rivalry, I think, was primarily because he really never developed. He never recruited or developed a quarterback because mm-hmm. I want to say his 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 tenure started with Jake Ruddock. I think that was his first year. That's right. Um, transfer from Iowa. Right. Yes. And I believe yeah. he did get drafted. But after that, there was just sort of this haphazard mishmash of mediocrity that that filled that position and you think Jim Harbaugh the guy who went to Andrew Luck's living room and convinced him to go from Houston to Stanford and then developed him into one of the best prospects we've seen come out of college football your original man crush Reese and you think of a quarterback himself who was super accomplished didn't Harbaugh even had Josh Johnson drafted from San Diego when he was there I mean this guy can develop find and develop and teach quarterbacks as, as well as anyone, and they just didn't have it. And so this is why McCarthy has been such a revelation, because now you're seeing all 
the elite traits of Harbaugh Stanford teams, the toughness, the discipline, the the synchronicity, like we talked about before on the line, with polished court and elite quarterback play. And that that is why they've been really able to unlock things there. I, I've been told that, and this is not in any way meant to be as, you know, any type of dig at Jim at all. Um, but that he sees a lot of himself as a player in McCarthy. And I, I, I wrestle with exactly how to phrase that because that, that sounds like you're saying, Oh yeah, well, he's like me, you know, and therefore he must be good. But I think it's just some of the, uh, you know, the ability to run, which Jim could do, uh, you know, sort of the bravado with which he plays and stuff like that. And the leadership qualities, he saw a lot of that. And, um, you know, and it, it made him really believe in JJ McCarthy and that, that belief has been, has been proven worthy uh, with the way JJ's played the last few weeks. Isn't it human nature to be sure. attracted to similar things? You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. it, that seems pretty obvious that you are going to seek qualities in others that you yourself have, uh, have, have shown. Um, so I, I hope that game is sort of like a bit of a rollicking shootout, right? Where you got a healthy Max Duggan back. It didn't seem like anything, any of his ailments the other night were, were going to impede him, you know, for essentially a month from now. Um, and you get TCU ripping and running and, and Quentin Johnson, you know, running through the running through the backfield. Kedre Miller obviously scooting around. And then you have Michigan sort of doing their doing their ground and pound dance. Uh these are two teams that aren't afraid to get behind, mm-hmm. right? And that Marissa Dowling, our, our great researcher, could probably quantify that better. But how many times have you been watching like the first half? I mean, TCU, it's like part of their story. It's like, let's yeah, get down right. by 14 and see how to win. Yeah. Michigan has been behind at the half a bunch. I and mean, McCarthy had a good quote in the post game. He was like, yeah, we're kind of used to that. Um, you yeah. know, I, because I think they were up one at uh, at halftime. So it's it's two interesting teams where their DNA has shown they're, uh, you know, they're, they're not afraid to sort of uh, duel it out in close games. It's going to be a great way to spend New Year's Eve. I think both games are, are going to be, are going to be terrific and, and really, you know, be worthy of it. One more look Has game back. day decided where it's going? Uh, yes. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it or not, Okay, but you can, you'd have to kill me and I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, enjoy my Sunday night. You, uh, you can take it. You can take a guess. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, you got, you you got the game that it's in prime time. That is likely where we're going to head. Then the four o'clock game will be from the desert. Michigan and TCU will start things off. And then uh, Georgia (laughs) and Ohio state will be the nightcap. Ringing out 2022 in in Atlanta. I asked Boo Corrigan this and was pleased with his answer. Not that he has to please me by any stretch of the imagination, but I really wanted to believe and do believe and hope that it's true. And even followed up to have Boo reiterate that either trying to set up or avoid the rematch never came up. Now, people are human. And as they evaluate teams, perhaps that entered into it in their own uh, predisposition about whether that should or should not happen could have influenced the way they rank teams. That's okay. That's part of a subjective thing and the reason you have committees. What I didn't want to hear was that we said, you know, that there was discussion in there that we can't rank them here because then they would rematch and we don't want that. Their task is to rank the teams and let the chips fall where they may. And while I would have had Ohio State three. 
Um, I have zero problem with TCU being three, and that's the way they thought they should be ranked, and that's the way they ranked them, and so that's the way it goes. And I, I thought that was a good thing too. I didn't. I don't want any manipulation of those rankings to set up or avoid any type of uh, game or rematch. It's just they should just rank them, and and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, for all our ESPN conspiracy theorists out there, if there was ever one the TV ratings wanted to be rigged for, it would be Ohio Michigan in a postseason game. Sure. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Ohio State Michigan in a postseason because that's a uh, that is I mean that's a monster that is guaranteed to be the biggest rated game of pretty much every season, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm new to this whole thing. I'm an old print wretch, not a not a not a TV guy. So my ratings my ratings knowledge is uh, a second language. But all I know is every year that game does a monster slot monster machine number. number. Yeah, yeah. Just it's you know two well populated states, brands people care, big alumni bases, mm-hmm. and great football, elite tradition. The whole uh, the whole thing. Heck, I, I every pretty much pretty much we're the only ones on game day that that didn't go to Ohio State or Michigan. Reese, so, <laughs> uh, about <laughs> it. Yeah. We can't, we can't escape it. Uh, we can't escape it everywhere. Um, so I, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that too. Cause guess what? In the 12th team playoff, we're going to get rematches. That's going to be a sure. thing. And we just yeah. got to live with it. Like it, it's going to happen. So here we are. That was, that was one of the fun things today was pointing out what would happen and yes. showing people uh, they're not, you know, not going to remember because there are a lot of moving parts and I was having to explain things, but the the notion of looking up there and seeing that um, that Utah, I believe, I don't have the rankings in front of me, but Utah would have squeezed out Kansas State for the last bye, mm-hmm. and Clemson and Utah then would have would have gotten buys, and what that would have meant was then because of the way the uh, rankings fell, is I believe that would have then cost uh, Kansas State not only a buy, but a home game. Um, I believe, okay, I've got the rankings in front of me. So Georgia, if, if we had the new format, Georgia, Michigan would have won two and they would have had buys. But in the final rankings, the next one, two, three, four teams, next four teams were not conference champions. So they don't get a buy. Next conference champion is Clemson, then Utah. So those are the four teams that would have advanced to the quarterfinals. Then after that, the next team in the field um is TCU mm-hmm. not a conference champion that makes them 5 6 C would have been Ohio State 7 seed Alabama 8 seed Tennessee now the next team in Kansas State in automatically is a conference champion but seated behind the volunteers who had to go on the road so those are some of the the new mm. things that you'll have to look for in the new format that mm. I don't know if it's quite the intrigue or the anger of getting in or getting left out, you know, that you get with four, but there will be, there will still, still will be some things for the committee to decipher and there will be uh, some residual effects from those decisions. So December weekend of December 21st, we don't know quite if there's going to be a Thursday game or whatever, that type of stuff yet. We've got a home game in Fort Worth, Texas, TCU Tulane. We've got a home game in the Horseshoe, which would be Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, home game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Alabama, USC. I think a few people would watch that one. They might. That might. Grow. And then we've got a home game in Knoxville, 
our old our old our old uh, stomping grounds are paying taxes in Knoxville this year. K State, Tennessee. I'm sorry, that's just ridiculously preposterously fun, and I can't wait for it to happen. And I understand all points about change, mm-hmm. residual side effects, anything like that. But like, we would be doing game day from oh, Tuscaloosa. I'm just guessing, or from or from Columbus, or from both. One yeah. on Thursday and one on Saturday. Yeah, and those would just be elite atmospheres, full stadiums. Um, we'd have our hand warmer budget on game day would be shot, I would think. Um, but it, uh, yeah, like that just, that seems like a great adrenaline jolt for the sport. Oh, it's, it'll be great fun. And it, it also fuels my belief that it's going to push the expansion to 16 because the top four seeds while look you want to win a championship competitively you'll take the buy every time i'm not arguing that but there there will also be administrative types and just sort of the feel and the vibe of the sport those four that are deemed the top four but then they don't get to play a home game that that's going to be a little disappointing there to them i think and it, it was we it'll be several years i know but when once that happens i think that will fuel further expansion as much as anything uh that those that if you're in the top eight or if you're at the top anyway you're going to want a home game instead of you know traveling uh potentially three times but that's way down the road we got we've still got this field of four one more field of four and then we get to the 12 yeah and this is a great field of four uh it's uh it's been a satisfying season you know like look all college football is great we love college football but i just feel like this season has had some special touches that have separated it a little bit, maybe from some other years. Which well, what's your well then which one? Which touch? Well, I I you know, recency bias, right? The TCU touch mm-hmm. was a really nice touch. Uh I really think this about the, the TCU in the playoff. Um, again, we we've spoken about this. We're not biased towards teams or leagues or anything like that, but we are somewhat biased towards wanting a full-on coast-to-coast vibrant college football. Playoffs going to be great. Really look forward to seeing those games. Tons of storylines, tons of intrigue. Stetson Bennett going for two national championships as a starter. That's rarefied air for a quarterback. It's rarefied air for a program. Hasn't happened since Alabama did in 11 and 12. And Kirby Smart was part of that as an assistant. But before we get there, uh, for the hardcore, we got a ton of games coming up between now and then. Give me the game off the radar. You can go, you can go New Year's Six or Bigger Bowl later too, but give me at least one off the radar that you really want to see. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna chicken out an answer with two. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a local bias and I'm gonna hope and pray we actually get the first Fenway Bowl because all the other editions have been canceled. And I live in Boston, as our listeners know. And there is a Fenway Bowl matchup between Cincinnati, which hopefully we'll have a coach by then. And Louisville, which is an old rivalry from Conference USA days. And it is at 11 a.m. on Saturday, December 17th. And I'm sorry, but I don't think there's anything better than an 11 a.m. bowl game in a frigid Fenway Park. So I proudly will be there to watch the uh, the Bearcats and the Cards. So I'm excited about local bias. I can't wait to tell my wife that there's a bowl game at Fenway Park on Saturday and I'm going to have to disappear from the house for about six hours. Uh, But the game that I think the matchup that I'm most looking forward to is UTSA and Troy. Um, 
what a what an awesome bowl game in the in the Cure Bowl to to get two ranked eleven and two conference champions playing each other. All right, you got Troy, which is on a ten game rip since we left them on game day, right? Uh, when they were uh, the, when they were bruised and broken after the App State uh, after the App State Hail Mary, and then uh, and then obviously you've got Meet Meet. They've just kept on winning and winning with Jeff Trailer and, uh, and and Frank Harris uh, throwing darts. So I really feel like it's also at three o'clock on a Friday, and there's really nothing better than like a mid afternoon weekday bowl game. So those are the I am giddy for those. If they were not on our air, I'd be giddy for them. They happen to be on our air, but that is uh, that that is not manufactured excitement. That is uh, that is I'm 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 giddy up to uh, to to dive in on those. Okay, so now all of a sudden it's good to be a homer. So you're you're touting the Fenway Bowl. Oh yeah. And who is that again? Who is it? Cincinnati and who? Louisville. Cincinnati and Louisville. Okay. Oh, uh, they're old conference foes from back in the day. Uh, probably dating. I have to look for sure and refresh my memory, but they probably were both in the Metro together at one time or another, right? At least in the other sports or in oh, basketball. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like uh, Denny Crumb versus Hugs, like yeah. back in the day. <laughs> like yeah, the old yeah. Metro. All right. Well, if you're going to go hometown bowl, then I'm going to go relatively new adopted hometown bowl. I'll see your bowl game there, the Fenway Bowl, and raise you a Tax Slayer Gator Bowl on the beautiful first coast of Florida, where. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame will come in to take on Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks. Huh. How about that one? That's a that's a good one. But because you know me, and I, I like the drama and the intrigue, there are two others that I'm really much more excited about because of the uh, subplots. Okay. First, the Valero Alamo Bowl between Texas and Washington on Thursday, December 29th, or as I like to call it, the Steve Sarkeesian coached here bowl or coaches <laughs> or coached here bowl. So you got that. And you also have Michael Penix. And as somebody on the set today said that for all of the offense and Quinn Ewers love, and you know, he's uber talented guy, uh, Steve Sarkeesian's former employer is going to have the best quarterback in the, in the game with Michael Penix there leading the nation in passing. That's one. And the other is I cannot wait, cannot wait. Uh, on the day after New Year's to see the welcome, the open arms from the Oklahoma Alumni Association, which I'm <laughs> sure has a huge presence in the greater Dallas area, as they welcome back Lone Star State native and former Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley to the Metroplex area. Do you think fans will go just to boo him? Tulane and USC, that's in uh, that's in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Um, it's possible. It, it's possible that uh, you know there's going there could be a little pettiness involved. You know we've we've embraced the petty, and it's a great story for Tulane to get there too, and to get a shot at uh, the Trojan behemoth and to have a shot there. So that's that's a good one. A lot of homecomings too, as I've noticed. I'm looking through these. Um, Dylan Gabriel going mm -hmm. back to Orlando uh, with uh, Oklahoma, sure. not to the bounce house, but yeah. back to Orlando camping world stadium, take on Florida state. I don't know that that will be uh, much of a game because I think the Knowles are playing great, but oh. there's a storyline there with Gabriel going back. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder with USC Tulane, my first brush on that is that if you don't make the playoff and you were right on the cusp of it, I think it's opt out city. 
So like, don't be surprised if, uh, you know, guys are going to go off to the NFL as they should, they've earned their time. No need to play in that bowl. Um, I wonder if it is a little bit of a, a, a lower caliber USC. Well, who all would it be? Caleb's not eligible to, to Jordan go, Addison. Jordan Addison, I, I would be very surprised if he played. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's anyone on defense that ought to be opting out of anything because they've already <laughs> op- they they opted out of tackling Utah <laughs> offensive ball carriers. Uh, yeah, so I'm they sure certainly they opted out of covering that. Dalton Kincaid uh, in all their matchups. Yeah, so. they they did, and then uh, uh, Yasmin, the Australian Ooh. rugby player, came in when Kincaid sort of on a pitch count the other night and caught a bunch of balls. He was but, great. You know, yeah, who? Let's see. There might be a few other guys uh, too from SC opting. I would think the big opt out thing you know Nick Saban you know addresses Marty Smith asked a great question you know about phrased it as roster availability and you know where are where's Bryce Young's shoulder what's the upside there uh Will Anderson um other guys who are uh certainly those two guys are the heart and soul of that Alabama team you know I asked McElroy about his team his team um was wildly talented and you know candidly underachieved the last couple of games he shouldn't have lost and um you know end, ended up in you know citrus bowl or something and they i mean they took out as he put took out like a year of frustration and aggravation if they didn't reach their potential on poor michigan state and just annihilated them you know and mm-hmm. uh you know julio played and uh, basically all the guys played you know mm-hmm. uh, ingram played everybody played and then they killed them and i don't know that that same mindset is as pervasive in today's college football. So, you know, you wonder which Alabama stars will opt to play, you know, and there are several, several others in, you know, in that. Gibson branch stand out as yeah. guys who have decisions to make. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and not just for them, but there are others, uh, others as well. I mean, I think the same might be said for the Clemson defensive front and um, sure. you know, some guys in that Clemson defensive front and that, what looks like a great Orange Bowl matchup against Tennessee, even uh, with the unfortunate injury to Hendon Hooker. But you know how many how many of those guys will go? Will you know? Will Tennessee have a guy or two that's increased his stock this year? Maybe uh, and maybe choose not to play in that game. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of a different world now. It's unfortunate, but it's also understandable. Um, I mm-hmm. I get it. You know, and uh, we talked about it earlier. Maybe the Bulls should should start offering cash incentives, you know, to play and some, and maybe that day will come somewhere down the pike. Yeah. I think I said this on a pod a, f- a few weeks ago that I had an AD tell me like, he was like sort of gathering through collectives, like a kitty to be able to pay, play, you know, like, again, mm-hmm. legally all that stuff, but like making sure that money wasn't the reason why guys didn't play in the bowl game. Yeah. That's, it's really smart. Say one more thing. We've got plenty of time to talk about these bowl games. We'll, it won't be the same three days a week uh, schedule, I don't think, on the College Game Day podcast. We'll we'll still stay in the mix uh, during the holiday season. But uh, you've been following closely all of the coaching changes, and the Deion Sanders to Colorado finally came uh, came to fruition. There, what are you hearing about uh, the reasoning behind that choice? staff that he's putting together, all of those types of things uh, to try to revive the Colorado program? So a couple things. Uh, So this was Dion's best option. Uh, And and that's people said, why Colorado? I think two reasons. One, it was was the best job he could get. And two, he's going to be a prolific recruiter of the state of Texas. 
Uh, he was a high school coach there. He had a high school there that folded. He has deep roots, especially in that Dallas Metroplex area. So it only makes sense. That, now, Colorado either has to go to Texas or California. When you look at the times when it's been good, the last time it it, it had a pulse was, you know, LaVisca Chenault had them going a little bit uh, during uh, end of McIntyre and then Mel Tucker's time there. And LaVisca Chenault is a uh, DFW area kid. And so... Colorado to te- Texas to Colorado makes a lot of sense. And uh, look, Dion was looking for a bigger stage. I don't know if you saw the the video posted the other night, Reese, um, from mm-hmm. the locker room where he kind of talked about his his rationale. He's looking for a bigger platform. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he obviously mentioned altruistic reasons trying to, uh, and he made a great point. I believe there have been four African American coaches fired so far in this cycle, and there uh, I don't believe any have been hired. I could be wrong, and we can double check that. But I, that not, none off the top of my head um, have been hired, and, and he thought that there was a need for him to be, you know, someone to open the door for uh, for more black coaches who are former stars to get the opportunity that that he's gotten. So I thought that was an interesting window into his psyche. Um, in I think knowing a little bit of how he's gone fishing and in in how his people have gone fishing and put together a staff for eight for. Uh, for coordinators and for staff, Colorado is going to play wide open and they're going to go hundred miles an hour. That would be the early, the early brush that I've gotten. This is not going to be ball control, fullback bully ball. This is going to be, you know, let it rip and have great skill and a uh, little flash and sizzle. I mean, what do we expect from coach prime? Right. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Shadur, Travis Hunter uh, guys coming along with him or too early to know that for sure. It's too early to know that for sure, um, but the early thought is yes on mm-hmm. that. The early thought is is yes, especially with Shador. That's been reported uh, some places that he would uh, that he would go. And uh, I mean, Travis Hunter is a fascinating NIL case, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was he, he's still the number one you know recruit from two years ago, who has now one year of college experience where he's played well and has good tape, and. It's in it, it, he he'll get one chance to transfer and and show his open market value unless he graduates. But he's talented enough where he's probably not going to be around long enough to graduate and then play another year. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he goes in the portal if Colorado can deliver the best deal. Um, now perhaps he's lo- obviously he went to Jackson State to play for Dion, so there's loyalty there. Um, but you know it's it's a new era. You certainly got to listen to other options. So I'll be, I'd be, that's a, It's a great question, Reese. It's a fascinating one. And uh, he did get a commitment from a five-star in the 2025 class this morning. I saw Steve Wolfong uh, from 247 report that. So Dion is, uh, Dion's already ripping and running. Colorado is more interesting now than at any point in the 19 years I've covered national college football. I, I got a, I got a note from our friend, uh, Dave Platty, who, you know, a long time, uh, yeah, member of Colorado SID and a member of the administration. I think uh, just recently retired, or maybe he's SID emeritus now. Just reminding me that uh, Colorado and Deion Sanders, Nebraska, and Matt Rule. I think on September 9th. I think that was the date. But uh, yes. just you know, put it put it on the radar there to you know potentially uh, get back to Boulder and and see uh, see what Dion is able to put together there to. It's a fascinating hire. It's going to be really, uh, really interesting, and I look forward to seeing them go fast. That you know the the Texas connection and recruiting. Be honest, I'm a little embarrassed. I hadn't thought of that because they're they're great teams under Gary Barnett and even uh, McCartney before that. Were you know they they had a lot of 
you know, they had California kids too, I know, but they had a lot of Texas kids too. So mm-hmm. that's a great connection. And then Dion certainly knows how to mine that. Playoff set, my friend. I know you've got a lot more TV to do uh, throughout the rest of the night. We're gonna we're gonna continue these podcasts. Uh, they'll be available to you. Uh, what once or twice a week? Is that what we're doing, Taylor? Is that is that the plan? At least until we crank back up with uh, with games. What Indeed, that is at? the plan. Hoping hoping we could uh, hit the hit the bag again uh, this week with maybe Bill, maybe David Pollock. That could be fun. We can discuss off mic. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, we'll find we'll find a way. It's been it's been a great season. We're going to continue awesome. this thing on. We're not letting go of the rope just because the regular season's over. We're going to carry it through the off season. Talk spring ball. Talk draft. Talk a little basketball from time have to time. Have some guests, but, maybe some have new some coaches, guests. new yep. places. Yeah, yep. yeah, that'd be great. Hey, you yeah. know what? Well, let's go to work. Let's set it as our goal before the season starts that we get a long podcast with Deion Sanders. All right. I think that's awesome. a we, uh, we can the, make that happen. The invitation has been issued. Yes, um, it has. You know, as we wrap up, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Get a ton of good feedback on the road from from people in different press boxes, coaching staffs. A lot of coaches listen on their way into work in the morning and set it up. So thank you for letting us be part of your routine. One of the things I've learned about podcasts is we're there for the dog walk. We're there for the drive. You know, some some people listen and, uh, you know, with their kids on the way into school and stuff like that. So you welcoming Reese and I and uh, and Bill on Fridays in is, is very cool. It's been gratifying to just hear it grow and resonate. That is fun. And it, and it is gratifying. And um, I didn't know that you found out all the coaches listened. And do they say the same thing that my friend Seth Greenberg says about me? Why do you hate coaches? Do they say that to you about me or not? <laughs> no, no, they haven't, uh, they haven't said that. <laughs> coaches are in such bubbles. I think they just appreciate that we kind of just sort of lay out the landscape a little bit. So. Yeah, okay. And they also want to listen to see if we pick them or not. So they can, uh, That's it, all- yeah. Because then they use that as fodder. If you know, yes. the, you guys picked against us. See, they yeah. don't respect you. All of that yeah. stuff. It's uh, It's been fun, man. We'll do it again later this week. Uh, playoff is set. Georgia and Ohio State playing in Atlanta. And then Michigan and TCU playing in the greater Phoenix area and a cavalcade of bowls starting, I believe, Friday, December 16th. First one being Miami, Ohio, and UAB. Don't miss one. We won't. We'll be here for it all. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Please download wherever it is that you like to get your podcast. We'll see you next time.